appreciate that. As Pam said, you can take one of those at the end of the day, and if you put uh, money or uh, it's going to the Canby Pregnancy Center, if you return them back here at church, we'll collect them and, and deliver that to help that special ministry in our community. Something we've been doing in our church is uh, reading our Bible and reading our scripture together before. Uh, and we've been doing that every week, but joining us this morning, welcome again. And you came on, I think you've come on a good Sunday as we're getting ready to start a new series this morning. You heard as we read from chapter one of, of Ruth. Uh, I think you've come on a great morning. And we're jumping into a new series, a, a four-week series. We're calling Ruth a Redemption Story. Uh, and my challenge, here's my challenge for you. Over the next, well, four weeks, I guess, and a few, a few more Sundays, my challenge is for you as we go into this book of Ruth, you maybe have read it before, but to try to read it once a week. It takes maybe 20 minutes in one sitting to sit down and read, maybe even a little less for you. Uh, and I, So my challenge for you as we head into this series is to read that little book once a week. Why? Because I think as you come to it, each week God will show you something new. He'll reveal something to your heart, and it'll only benefit you and if you're part of one of our life groups, one of our life groups as well. You ready to take that challenge? Can you do it? All right, we got one. All right, Leslie read chapter one. She's on her way. You're, I understand. Your silence is, it means affirmation. So yes, uh, t- try to take that challenge with us. Uh, I'm going to be doing it, so join me with that as well. I think the book of Ruth is a favorite of many people for a number of reasons. Uh, as you think of the stories, you've heard of the story. One reason is that, for some people, is that it's a great love story. A love story between Boaz and Ruth, who we're going to hear, we'll hear about Boaz in a little bit, but you heard about Ruth today. Uh, for others, it's a great storytelling The drama, think of this, of two widows without food traveling across the countryside. It's a little Thelma and Louise a little bit. Uh, Two widows kind of traveling across the countryside together without much of anything, really. Um, Another reason, it's just great storytelling. Uh, it's, it's, It's a perfect story in four chapters. It's a perfect short story. Some people like it for that. Some people love it because they relate to the struggles of real people, real life struggles that are they're worn down by life in Ruth. Maybe you can relate to that this morning. You feel worn down by life? Some love it because like Job, it's a picture of truth being uh, lived out, lived out in these characters' lives under the display of God's sovereign hand, His providence, which means that He's involved with everything in the lives of His people working through some really hard situations, especially in Naomi's life. So wherever you are in your life this morning, wherever you're at, whatever stage you're in, I promise you, I promise you, because it's the Word of God, something's going to grab you each week in our series, and if you read it each week in this little book, because it's God's Word. Because it's God's Word. And we say here at Bethany Church, God speaks in His Word, and when we open His Word, God speaks. And so we're going to do that together. I like it because uh, it gives us, one of the reasons, as I thought through that this week, I like it because it gives us a picture of, of kind faithfulness lived out. And, and, and over and behind that, underneath that, a picture of a God who is working and who has great purposes for His people even if we can't always see them. That's what I like about it. There's a lot of reasons, and as we come to this book, we're going to see he has a purpose. He works in Ruth and Naomi's lives for something. Our question we're asking this year is, what is our salvation for? 
What is it for? What's our purpose as we come to know Christ? And the book of Ruth is going to show us uh, some answers to this question as we see and look at these people's lives. Well, this morning we cover chapter one is we're going to take two journeys, two journeys with Naomi and Ruth. And we're going to see in light of those journeys, two different responses from these ladies to discover that underneath life's even darkest circumstances, God is working. God is working. His providential, refreshing purposes we're going to call them this morning. I don't know if you saw it, but grab that outline, have it on your lap, and the the text open to Ruth as we jump in. If you like fill-ins, this is the morning for you. Did you open your outline? Take a look. We're going to be jumping pretty quick through these points, but it's a a morning where we're doing some background as well. It's a unique morning whenever we start a new series. So if you love fill-ins, you're going to be happy this morning. All right, let's start today, though, with doing this. Let's set the stage, setting the stage of Ruth. It always helps as we come to a a new book to have some kind of introduction and background uh, as to, number one, why I chose this book for us as a congregation, but what was going on in the story when it took place, because it's a historical book. It was a real story about real people in the lives, uh, in the lives of some, some of God's real people. So let's set the stage together. Here's what we're going to see. Ruth is a refreshing story in a really dark setting. Ruth is a really refreshing story we're going to hear, but in a really dark, ominous kind of time in the lives of God's people. It's going to be refreshing for a few reasons. Here's some of them. It's going to be refreshing for us who live in an age when villains and stories seem to get all the attention and buzz, don't they? All the attention and buzz. And we're going to look at a virtuous man and woman in Boaz and Ruth. That's going to be refreshing. Here's another reason. It's a refreshing story in a season when we're hearing uh, story after story of the sexual abuse of women by men in the news. It's going to be refreshing to see a man and a woman treat each other with dignity and respect and the kindness they deserve. That's going to be refreshing. It's going to be a refreshing in an age where there's so many distortions over what it means to be a man and woman in a culture that can only come up with nothing other than biological differences to see God's real, given responsibilities of gender playing out in a story. That's going to be refreshing. Here's one more. It's going to be refreshing for us in an age where most people see themselves as the author of their own story. Their author of their own life, the one who sets the course and direction of everything they do. We're going to see in this story a sovereign God writing his story, this story, and our lives and our stories too. That's going to be refreshing. But it's also a dark setting. Look at verse 1 with me. We won't read through the whole chapter again this morning, but we'll read through a few verses. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. So what's the setting? It's a dark setting. Verse 1 tells us, it was the day of the judges. The day of the judges. This book, as I said, it's a, it's a history book um, that was written in, inside of a larger period of history called the Judges. It's the book in the Bible that comes right before Ruth. Joshua judges Ruth. And so Ruth takes place inside the time of the Judges. It was a time in Israel's history, 
real briefly, after Joshua and the people of God conquered the promised land, Canaan, that he gave to them. They were living there in the land and they were wanting now that they had a place in a land. They desperately wanted a king. God's people wanted somebody to rule them and lead them. They wanted a king because everything was falling apart. Everything was falling apart. Here's the, the last book, the last verse of the book of Judges. In th- those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Everyone did what was right in his or her own eyes. There was moral and social and religious collapse that was taking place in some ways, kind of like our day. Everyone doing what is right in his or her own eyes. You see connection there? Things would get bad. God would send a judge and most of the time it would get worse. It was this downward spiral of God's people from worse to worse to worse, 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 worse. That's the judges. There were things were falling apart. Not only that, there was a famine going on for God's people too. Lack of food, no food. They desperately wanted a king to set things straight. And here comes the story of Ruth, which ends, spoiler alert, with the lineage of King David, through whom the ultimate king would come. What's his name? Jesus. It's amazing. So here's God in one of the darkest, in the midst of one of Israel's darkest times, working through these two women and this one man to show that there is hope, there is grace in even life's darkest circumstances and the darkest times for God's people if he is on your side and you are one of his. Well, the dire circumstances of famine are taking place in Bethlehem, which is ironic because you know what Bethlehem means? House of bread. You catch the irony there? There's a famine going on in Bethlehem. It's meant, it, it means house of bread. It's taking place there. So this famine sends this family on, on two journeys. So let's look at them. These two journeys we're going to check out this morning. Well, we know they went because there was a shortage of food. They were short on food. A basic building block, a staple, running out of bread. And we saw, we heard in the reading that Elimelech took his wife, Naomi, and their two sons, Malon and Kilion, to Moab, which is also kind of strange and ironic. So he leaves uh, Bethlehem. They go to this place called Moab. So he chooses to leave the promised land for a land of idols, number one, when his name, Elimelech, means God is king. It's strange. Names always mean something in the Bible. Well, the famine in God's people's land was possibly more than likely the result of disobedience at that time, and God did say in, in, in Deuteronomy and Numbers when there was disobedience, he may visit a famine upon the land to bring his people back. And rather than stay, Elimelech, stay with his family and be part of that process of repentance of God's people, which surely would have brought food again, he takes his family and he goes. He flees. We don't know exactly why, Possibly a lack of faith. Possibly he didn't even really know much about God. It was the period of Judges. Things were not going well. He may not even really known about the God of Israel very much. But he leaves. Either way, here's what we see on this journey. Here's the first one as they go away now. Here's the first thing we see. Naomi and her family's journey to Moab brings even greater calamity 
greater struggle, greater tragedy, however you want to say it, in the life of this family. Didn't get better. Well, Moab also had a reputation for idol worship we see in Numbers 23. And what's strange is he goes there to get bread, but in Numbers there's a story where the Israelites are passing through Moab and they needed bread. And Moab decides, that nation decides to not give them bread. So what we're seeing here is Elimelech's leaving Bethlehem, the house of bread, to go to Moab, a place that has a history with his own people for not giving them bread. It's, it's ironic. It's strange. But he does it. He goes. Basically what we're hearing it, seeing is it's not really the place that an Israelite would want to go to set up shop, <laughs> to set up camp. It's not that kind of place. So when they go, we see if there were ever a few sentences packed with tragedy, these are them. Take a look at verse 3 through 5. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died. And she was left with her two sons. These, Mo- these took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah. The name of the other, Ruth. And they lived there about ten more years. And both Malin and Killian died. So that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. So they arrive, they go to Moab, and Elimelech, her husband, dies. Her two sons marry, then marry these Moabite, you would call them idolaters. They weren't of God's people. They didn't serve the one true God. So her husband dies. Her two, her two sons go off and marry uh, people from a foreign land that served foreign false gods. And then 10 years later, her sons die. Add to that, they die leaving her with no relative or kin because the two daughters were either barren or we don't know exactly why they were unable to conceive, but there they are. So now she's a woman, Naomi, in a foreign land with two barren daughter-in-laws in a male-dominated culture with no property, no name, no kin, no provision. That's her situation. And remember this too, this isn't our culture. So Naomi can't just run out and get a job. She can't just run out to, to Costco to get a real big cart full. It's not our culture, remember. These are the circumstances for this matriarch Naomi. You might call it, you hear that and you're like, wow, it sounds like another story. It's sort of, kind of a micro version of, of Job, isn't it? That's a lot of suffering. Maybe you can relate to Naomi this morning. Maybe you can relate to her first journey, that journey to Moab. Maybe you feel like she did then, battered today by life, bruised by life, battered by life, beat up by life. We too live in a time where everyone does what is right in his own eyes. These are dark days. Maybe you feel like Elimelech's decision to move the family and it destroyed and, and, and a decision that kind of changed their life. Maybe you have been hurt by someone's decision in your own life, like Naomi probably felt. Maybe you've lost loved ones. Many of us have, like Naomi. 
in an untimely way and that, that has left you, like it left Naomi, feeling scared and hopeless and lonely and anxious maybe. That's Naomi. Or watch somebody else. All of us at least have watched somebody else go through this, something like this, if you haven't yourself. And you may be thinking, where is God? Does He even care? Look at my life. Look what it's become. Look what's happened to me. We'll see in a minute. We'll see in a minute that that was one of Naomi's responses. An an emptiness. A bitterness. An anger, you might almost say, at God. But here's what we have to see. And I want us to hear this right up top. Nowhere in the book of Ruth does the story tell us that God is against Naomi. I want you to hear that again. I'm going to say it one more time. Nowhere in the book of Ruth do we ever see anywhere where it says God is against Naomi, that he's not for her, or that he doesn't care, or that he's turned his back on her. Nowhere does it say that, okay? In fact, we quickly see on the second journey, which is an early glimmer of hope, here it is, they went away, but God's gracious hand brings them on a journey home and to him. Take a look at verse 6 there. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she'd heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. Israel, his people, God had brought food back to them. We hear there, God visited them, which probably means one of those times of the judges, the people repented. They turned from their sin, they turned back to God, and so he visited them. It means he's returning back to them with favor. And part of that favor is food. Food that they so desperately needed. It's his gracious hand. We see it right away in the story, even though Naomi's life is falling apart. So in the midst of Israel's darkest season, the judges, God still is showing his grace. He's still showing his grace. In a small detail in this book, but not small in their life, the food is back. The food is back. It's a small detail as we read it, but it would have been huge for them. Have you had those small glimpses of grace in the middle of your dark night? This was their darkest time, judges, and definitely Naomi's life, that have called you back home to God. Well, I would say this, you're here today, you just being here today, you have, because you're here, and he's got a rich meal for you today, bread, we might say, in his word. You're here. You have had that grace in your life. You're here sitting under his word today, food for your life. Well, there's food in the land now. So they say, well, let's go home. Hey, uh, Orpah, Ruth, there's food. I heard it. It's back. Let's go back to Bethlehem. Let's go back to my homeland. Uh, Let's go. But it's her home, isn't it? Not theirs, remember. They're from Moab. Keep that in mind. Uh, Orpah and Ruth, they they are home. (laughs) They're like, well, we we are home. We are home, Naomi. Bethlehem's a foreign land to them. They're home. But oh, if you know the story, if you know the story, it's God's grace that they go. It's kind of like in a scary movie, right? And you see that the tensest moment, and you're, they're there, and you're like, we should be yelling, the, no, don't go in there, don't go in there. If you know this story, 
You're saying to Orpah and Ruth right now, go, go with her. Go, go, go in there. It's good for you, as we'll find out. Well, let's look. He's going on these two journeys. Let's look now at these two responses. They go in a way, God's bringing them back. And we look at two different responses as they travel home, two different responses to these circumstances, this predicament, this, this devastation as they come back. Let's look first at Naomi. Let's take a look at Naomi. Now remember, a real quick catalog of her devastating trials. She's lost her husband. She's lost her two sons. Now she's responsible for these two women that may be barren, uh, which maybe can't have kids. These two daughter-in-laws in a matter of 10 years. And she probably, if she was to look at her life and take stock, she probably would say something like, how my life has changed. Wow. How my life has changed. Have you ever thought that? You look at like back on a, a year, a five-year, a 10-year span, and you just can't even believe it. You're like, wow. I cannot believe how much my life, our life, has changed in 10 years, in five years, in the last year. Sometimes it's a week, isn't it? You can't believe how much comes in your life. If you've ever said that, you can relate to Naomi here. How my life has changed. Especially if it's changed in tragedy. Well, here's Naomi's first response. Naomi responds with an absolutely understandable anguish. Sadness. Absolutely understandable. On one level, we get it that Naomi would express this, this, this grief, this anguish. Look at what has happened in, in a 10-year span. Think of, think of her loss. Think of your loss in your life. It's understandable to grieve those dark seasons and trials and tragedy and sadness. It's, under, it's absolutely understandable. And I would say normal to grieve or to be honest with those emotions even. The psalmist did that, that all the time, didn't he? He was honest with those emotions. Over and over again, the psalms, David does that. Here's what he said in Psalm 32. And he's speaking to God now. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Naomi's words are similar to that. We'll get to. This honest display of grief of emotions. And Naomi grieves. She is in anguish. And she basically prays. That's what she's doing for her daughter-in-laws in verses 8 through, uh, through 8 through 13. She basically prays for them. She just uh, offers up a prayer. Naomi understands that even in the midst of this tragedy, that God is powerful. She gets that. And so she prays to him. It sounded something like this. Ruth, Orpah, in her prayer, you have been kind. May God be kind to you. I understand that Bethlehem isn't your home. And look, what do I have to offer you? What do I have to offer you, girls? She said to them. What do I have? You know, you've been kind of like collateral damage in how the Lord has dealt with me. You've got caught in the shrapnel, the collateral damage of, 
of my life. And, and I'm not going to give you sons. I'm too old to marry. I'm too old for that. And so she prays, may you find rest in the house of a new husband. That's what she says. Rest, which is a godly man should provide. And we'll see later it means this, this provision. May you find that, ladies, she says to them. May you find protection. May you find children in a future home. Provision, protection, and children. Three things a godly man will bring to a woman. You can write those down, men. Those are what we're going to see in Boaz. Provision, protection, and maybe children too. And she says, I can't give you those. I can't give you those. I can't provide those. It's understandable, isn't it? You look at her life. It's, it's absolutely understandable to respond with this anguish and this frustration when we too suffer in this fallen world. Because it is. It's fallen. It's sinful. We will face things similar. And so it's understandable. But there's a second response. And it's a little harder. But there's a second response that God wants us to see. And it happens to a lot of us too. It's a response that wasn't good for Naomi in the long run. Yes, anguish and grief. Understandable, she had it, but at some point it, 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 it switched. At some point it became something else. Naomi began to respond with bitterness. Here's her second response. Naomi responds with a bitterness that shows her belief in God's power, at this time at least in her life, but not in his goodness. Something switched. Something at some point changed for Naomi. And it went from what we might call understandable, normal, more normal grief to a bitterness that showed that she still believed in God's power, but not his goodness. You can see it in, his, in her words. She gets that God is in control of her life, that he's all-powerful, and that he's sovereign. He's in control. She gets that. But take a look at verse 13. She says, The hand of the Lord has gone out against me, she says. The hand of the Lord has gone out against me, she says to Orpah and Ruth. She knows. She gets it. God is sovereign. And at the very least, he's permitted this. He's allowed this to happen to her. He could have stopped it. She knows that. She says the hand of the Lord has come against me. But she doubts his goodness too. She doubts his goodness too. You see it in her response to the women once they get back. Look at verse 20 with me there. She says in verse 20 and 21, she said to the ladies in Bethlehem there, don't call me Naomi. Do not call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara, which means bitterness. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full. The Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity on me? It's heavy words, aren't they? They are heavy words. And you hear her grief in there. You get it. You understand it. She understands God's power. But in that moment, she is doubting God's goodness. And that's hard to do. It is hard. She's basically saying to the women, bitterness is all I know, ladies. Do not call me Mara, or Naomi, call me Mara, call me bitter. That's all I know. He may be all-powerful, 
And he can do what he wants with me if he's all-powerful, but he can't be good. Look at my life. He can't be good too. Look at my life. And so I changed my view of God, she says. God is against me. That's what she says. God has turned against me. He's testifying against me. I know it. There's no other way. Don't call me Naomi. Call me bitter. It's a, it's a, dark, it's a dark low point for this woman's life, isn't it? It is. But nowhere again does the text allow us to think that God is actually against Naomi. It doesn't let us think that. To think that God is against her. It doesn't say that. And I encourage you, uh, as we think about suffering and evil and the goodness of God and His sovereignty, go back and listen to my sermon. From, uh, we had one in November uh, 12th, I think it was, called Mercy Through Suffering. And I think this is a huge question. This is a hard question. We're not going to pack it all today, but we're going to keep going through the book of Ruth. Um, we're going to have some of those CDs out next week for you as well from that sermon. It was called Mercy Through Suffering because we're going to keep working on this issue throughout this book. So I want to encourage you to go back online or pick one up next week as we continue. But as for Naomi, there is a moment for each of us where dwelling on the pain, the misery, and the discouragement, number one, they're just, they're just bad for us. We can't sustain that forever as humans. It takes a lot of emotional energy. But number two, as it does for Naomi, it becomes over time a bitterness, doesn't it? A bitterness. And maybe even wrong. And maybe even sin in Naomi's life. We cannot minimize the real pain this lady's going through. Or that you're going through. We can't. And we shouldn't be insensitive to those suffering around us. But God doesn't give her and God doesn't give us permission in our grief to take those accusations and turn them back against Him. I love this quote by Dean Ulrich. He helps us understand this. We often do this, do we not? We judge God's love, His goodness, you might say, and His faithfulness by how many of our desires have been met. It's hard. I do this too. I am right there with you in this. I do this. When our desires do not materialize, our words are telling. Angry, accusing words reveal sometimes the idols of our hearts. Too often it's not God's will we want, but our will made possible by God. Yes, Naomi's circumstances were real. Yes, they were hard. Yes, they were sad. But they became all she knew. That's all she knew. She knew nothing else. And she was ruled by them. Her circumstances became her master, her leader, the only thing she could ever see. So yes, the psalmist too, he's honest with his words. But you know the psalms? They begin so honest, but they always end hopeful. That God is still good. That he will come through. That things will change. Or someday, if, if nothing even changes here now, I'll see him someday. Could it not be that he's working here too in Naomi's life, right in this moment, and yours too? Could it not be that? Or in the others you see going through difficult times, could he be just working the way only he can through those hard times? Well, by the end of the story, this is kind of heavy. Let's get some, let's get some kind of levity, lighten it a little bit, right? Here's what they're saying by the end of the story about Naomi. Here's the verses. They're popping up. Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who's not left you this day without a Redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. 
For your daughter-in-law who loves you is more to you than seven sons. How about that? And it's given birth to him. Naomi, you're blessed, they end up saying. So to give us a little joy in, in the midst of this, they end up saying to her, you're blessed. You have a grandson. By, and, and by the way, he'll have a son who will have a son. And Naomi, you're going to be the great-grandmother of this guy. Oh yeah, his name's David. King David. Talk about a turnaround. God was at work in this life. And just because Naomi couldn't see a reason didn't mean there was one or wasn't one for what she was going through. Just because she couldn't see it didn't mean there wasn't one. We get to look ahead in the story. She couldn't at that time. And your daughter-in-law, Naomi, they said to her, she's worth more than seven sons to you. So let's take a look at that daughter-in-law. If she's that valuable, let's take a look at her for a couple minutes. Let's look at Ruth. We forget in her response now, so we go to Ruth's response. We see Naomi's. Let's go to Ruth's response now to these two journeys away and back. We forget that Ruth suffered too, didn't she? We can get just caught up on Naomi and forget about Ruth, the, 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 uh, the book that's named after her. She lost her father-in-law, who she would have loved dearly taking care of her in a, in, in, as, a, as a foreigner caring for her in her homeland. She lost her father-in-law. And, and her husband died too. This is Ruth now. And she was left without child now that her husband was gone. And think about this. Now that she went off and married to an Israelite family, maybe the Moabites wouldn't accept her back. So now she's in her own homeland, a stranger in her own homeland, without a husband, without a father-in-law. And now she's been asked, well, come to Bethlehem. That's not her home either. She's not from Bethlehem. She's probably never been there. And the thought probably crosses her mind, well, what if I go there and they won't accept me there either? They won't take me in there. Her future is just as uncertain as Naomi's. It's just as uncertain and just as dire on first look. It's that serious for her too. And Naomi pleads with her, you know, go home, Ruth, Orpah. I have nothing for you. I have nothing to give you. And what do we see in Ruth? She clings to Naomi. That's the word. She clings to her. She grabs onto her and just holds her. She clings to her. Look what she says in verse 16. You've probably heard these words. Maybe at a wedding or two. They're popular there, I know. She says, Ruth said in verse 16, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go, Naomi. And where you lodge, I will lodge, Naomi. Your people should be my people, Naomi. And your God, my God, Naomi. And where you die, I will die, Naomi. And where you'll be buried, I will too, Naomi. And she says, may the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. What's her response? Here it is. Ruth responds with an active faithfulness that <laughs> defies conventional thinking. You look at Ruth and you're like, no way. There's no way she could have that faith or respond like that. It just defies what you think may actually happen when you look at her life. She stays. Why? She clings to Naomi. Why? Why does she do that? She goes so far as to say, you know what? I realize even, I may never have a family again, but I'm going to make your people my people, Naomi. And you know what, Naomi? 
I'll die where you die even. Which means if we go and it gets even worse, I'm all in. <laughs> That's kind of what she's saying. I'm all in, Naomi. I'll die where you die. You know, we can't quite grasp or understand because of our cultural differences how huge this decision is for this woman now. At this time, why? Why did she do it? What could she gain? Why respond with, 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 with such sacrificial risk-taking? Here's why. Naomi, your God will be my God. That's why. Your God will be my God. And because I cling to him, Naomi, I'll cling to you. See, she had already become one of God's people. Your God will be my God, Naomi. And because I cling to him, Naomi, I will cling to you. Do you know the Israelites were told in the Old Testament to cling to God? That word is not there on accident. To hold fast to him is another word for it. To grab onto him with everything they got and not let go. All in is Ruth. I'm grabbing on for this ride wherever we go, Naomi, because I've held on to God and I'm not letting go of him. That's what's happening here. Unless she had a very real, sincere faith that God is all-powerful and sovereign, but also still good, she couldn't have made this decision. And that is what faith does for us. Let's think about us now. That is what faith does. It's not just some uh, intellectual assent or decision. It is that, but it's more. What faith does is it looks at the insurmountable odds of your life that look absolutely stacked against you like stacked against Ruth or previous pain that you've been through. And it remembers the promises of God. That's what faith does. And it rehearses those promises over and over again. Not only the power of God, but the goodness of God. And it acts. That's what faith does. And that's what Ruth is doing. It acts. And oh, do we see the kindness of Ruth on display here, don't we? The kindness of Ruth in this story. But as special as these characters are, what we're really going to see in the book of Ruth is the God who is the God of this story and the God of Ruth's lives. And that's what we're going to look at to wrap real quickly. By touching on just a few themes, real quick. A few themes as we've seen now these two journeys and these two responses that are going to show up over and again in this book. God's providential, we're calling them, refreshing purposes as we wrap today. The story looks bleak, doesn't it? It looks really bleak and hopeless. But God has purposes. Purposes that Ruth and Naomi cannot even imagine yet. It's called His providence. It's, mysteri it's His mysterious working through all of life. It's ups and it's down and all the little details. His providence, His, his sovereign hands. So here's a few themes. Here's the first one. God shows up in hopeless situations for his people. We are going to see that from this book. God shows up in hopeless situations for his people. We saw it today, even in tiny ways for Naomi. The famine's over. It could have kept going. The famine's over. And did you catch that little glimmer of hope at the end of the chapter there? Look at verse 18 with me. It's so easy to miss it. It's so easy to miss it. But the author doesn't want us to be hopeless at the end of chapter 1. Look at 22 of chapter 1. So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the end of the barley harvest. 
No. At the beginning of the barley harvest. There it is. It's a glimmer of hope. Some good stuff is coming. Don't give up on Ruth. That's what the author's saying there. At the beginning of the barley harvest. It could have been any time. It could have been a time the food was all gone. It was, it was doled out. There's none left. That could have been the time that God called him home. But it wasn't. It was the very beginning of the harvest. And if you know the story, that's a big, big deal. There's a glimmer of hope in hopeless situations for God's people. So here's a question for you. How is he showing up for you and are you looking? Are you looking? Do you see him showing up? Well, here's number two. Ruth does show up for Naomi. God shows up for his people. Ruth does show up for Naomi. He shows up. God has provided for Naomi in this rock of a woman named Ruth. Naomi is not going home empty-handed. And she says that to the woman. I've come home empty. Is she going home empty? No way. She's got Ruth. Ruth is a rock for her. Who do you have in your life now right, that God has provided for you? Who's shown up for you? They're God's grace to you. Maybe let them know that this week. Or flip it, who do you need to go out on a limb for in faith this week like Ruth did for Naomi? Let's keep that question in mind. Because as God shows up, sometimes it's people that he shows up with in our life. And not only that, but when we look at the life of Christians and the life of this world, Christ has shown up for us. Christ has shown up for us. As dark, as bleak as something might see, Christ has shown up. So who is your rescuer? If you've placed your faith in Christ, he's your advocate. He's your security. He's your, your justifier. Whatever the reason for whatever's going on in your life or even the suffering, if you've trusted Christ, the reason can't be because God doesn't love you. He's willing to die for you. You may not have the exact reason, but if you trusted Christ, it can't be because he doesn't love you. He himself faced the greatest suffering that ever occurred. So what did Naomi think? She thought God was testifying against her, that God had turned on her, that God was done for her. But look at Romans 8. I think Ruth knew this one. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. If God has justified you, saved you, that means that even God himself won't testify against you, as Naomi thought. God himself will never turn against you if you're his. Here's another spoiler alert. Even this book is all about God showing up in Christ. We're going to hear about somebody in the future called the Kinsman Redeemer. And if you read ahead in this book this week, look for that Kinsman Redeemer because that's a picture of Christ showing up for us. And so if God shows up, if Ruth showed up, if Christ showed up, here's the last one, so we show up for others too. We show up for others too. We're going to see this love, this true sacrificial kindness in this book. This covenantal love, you might call it. The never stopping, never giving up, always and forever kind of love, as one of my kids' children's Bible says. That kind of love in God. In Christ, that's going to be foreshadowed in Ruth and Boaz, we're going to see. So we too then can turn up for others in their dark seasons of life. So two journeys, two responses, one big sovereign God. That's what we're going to see in the book of Ruth. Let's pray. Lord, we covered a lot today. We, we're thinking big as we come to this story of these women whose lives was 
absolutely destroyed and turned upside down. God, use this book to help us not only reaffirm today your power, but also your goodness, Lord. So make it real. Those of us who are in the midst of suffering now, whereas one day all of us will again in the future, move us towards a response like Ruth. And a response that I know Naomi one day responded with, I'm sure, as the story unfolded in her life and will in ours, God, we know the kinsman redeemer, Jesus Christ, has come. And so give us hope today. Give us assurance today that, God, you will never testify against us. If you're for us in Christ, you always will be. And let that move, move us forward in active, hopeful faith. It's in Christ that we pray. Amen. Hey, can we stand to close in worship?